Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, thanks for downloading and subscribing to another episode of Yolitics. I'm Jason Whiteley here with Jason Wheeler. And Jason, you're actually outside for this taping, man. I am. I have stepped out uh, because I was getting a, a little bit of cabin fever, even though um, I am still going into the office every day. I'm one of those unusual birds these days. Uh, but, you know, part of my day is here and, you know, you just get tired of looking at the same four walls. And so you take uh, 20 steps and new it, world. It, and we're just hoping it doesn't rain. I've felt a few sprinkles. <laughs> Indeed so. So you don't have to, you know, turn on Twitter or turn on the TV or Facebook to know that uh, we're not getting along on very many topics right, these been, days. it's been nuts very many at all and you know what that's the, only going to get worse uh, as we approach election yeah. day and who knows maybe even well after election day it's going to continue that way but there are some odd issues where people are finding common ground you and i both started in television in the 1990s jason mm-hmm. and and for uh, our listeners who are old enough to recollect the 1990s um there's a lot of crime There was a Mm -hmm. lot of crime and kind of the general thinking at the time during the Clinton administration and the end of the Bush administration uh, was lock them up, lock them up and throw away the key. So here we are 25, 30 years later, and there is bipartisan support on a state level, on a local level and a federal level for criminal justice reform. Both sides Mm -hmm. have looked at this issue and said, you know what, we got to fix it. Not everyone needs to be going to jail for that long. And when they're in, the, in jail, they need to be doing different things. They need to be getting ready to come back out and be productive members of society. Republicans mm-hmm. and Democrats, Jason, they both think this. There's a lot of common ground here because when you get down to it, these are human beings. And uh, in many cases, they are human beings who, you know, however long you lock them up, they usually, for the most part, are going to come back out. And then they're going to be your neighbor or my neighbor or my coworker or your coworker, perhaps. And you want them to have some hope for their future when they get back out. And you want them, hopefully, to be reformed and to not be on a path right back to prison again. And there's an organization in Texas called Unlocking Doors. This is a uh, a reentry organization. It essentially helps ex-offenders getting out of TDCJ, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, find work, find people who will hire them. But it's a lot broader than this. And the founder is one of our guests today. It's Christina Melton Crane. And she is the first woman to ever chair the Texas Board of Criminal Justice. How in the world did criminal justice become a bipartisan issue? Because people can't agree on anything these days. But Republicans and Democrats both agree that that the criminal justice system needs to be reformed. You have conservative credentials. We saw what President Trump did. Um, why, Why the common ground on this? It's great, but I don't understand why. Yes, Jason, you're absolutely right. This issue, like I said, affects all of us from a taxpayer standpoint, from a community public safety standpoint, 
And really it gets to the heart of what our community fabric is made of, the family. And it breaks down the family fabric. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it affects every one of us and all of us should be interested in this. I think it's beautiful to see both sides of the political aisle come together and work on this issue. We may not all get there the same way, but at the end of the day, we have the same core um, goal in mind. Yeah, I would argue, and I would argue that Texas is still known uh, to many parts of the country as the place where they kill them, uh, speaking of inmates on death row. Uh, but at the very least, Texas is known as the place where you lock them up, too, uh, with a prison population that you know, I think it's above 130,000 inmates in this state. For people who don't know about unlocking doors, what you all do is you give this path to take somebody because they get dropped off uh, almost no money in their pocket, no job, no nothing uh, after prison. And then what? Uh, you, you have a situation where somebody is likely to reoffend because they've got to put food on the table or it maybe is all they know. And so you're giving them sort of a glide path out of prison to integrate back into society again. And that's why I think you find the bipartisanship on this, because this affects every single one of us. If somebody's going to come out of prison, I'd like them to be reformed and to have a pathway and not to feel like they've got to commit another crime. And you all have done that for 10 years now. So the symposium that is coming up next Tuesday um, brings all kinds of people together. I mean, I think there's, there's social workers, there's, there's lawmakers, the uh, TDCJ executive director, Brian Collier, uh, is on there. Um, th- there are a number of voices, former offenders as well, too. But our second guest um, is going to be debuting or at least premiering a, um, a short film there. Um, our second guest is Cynthia Salzman Mondell. She's created more than 40 films over the years. But this one she is uh, showing next Tuesday at the symposium is called In Her Shoes. And Cynthia uh, is with us. Cynthia, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. The, in, in this film, you follow, what, 64 women at the Dallas County Jail? Is that right? Well, basically, I tell stories. I let them, I let the, give them a voice in my film. And um, it's really important to me because um, uh, this is a, In Her Shoes was not supposed to be a film. It was part of a bigger project and it was going to be integrated into another film that I'm working on called Soul Sisters. What in the world do shoes have to do with women incarcerated at the county jail? Shoes have everything to do with every woman alive. I mean, we love <laughs> and basically, I mean, I started this. It's a fascinating. I mean, I, I find it fascinating when I think about what I've done um, because um, I'm a filmmaker. I've, um, my, I work with my husband. We form Media Projects, which is over 40 years old. Uh, we did the films for the Sixth Floor on the life of Ken, the, uh, the, the life, death, and legacy of John Kennedy for the Sixth Floor Museum. And we've done films that have shown all over the world, mostly about social issues. And I wanted to honor my mother who had pancreatic cancer and passed away from pancreatic cancer. She, when she was dying, we found a pair, brand new pair of red shoes in her closet. And I took those shoes, my sister and I took those shoes and we took them into her sick room. And there was something about those shoes that just lit her up. And she shared stories with us and it really brought her joy. And I thought that we thought she was gonna live. And of course with pancreatic cancer, it's, you know, very well because it's in the um, RGB just passed away from it. Mm. Um, we that it's right. it's very hard to defeat, and so, but it was those shoes that brought us the whole fact. Uh, my sister and my and my mother and I together, 
and I wanted to do just a short film about shoes and women why and looking at the question about why women love shoes. So I started. That was my search, and one of my pro, one of my outreach projects was at the Dallas County Jail, and um, I worked with a woman who has an art course, um, and we 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 uh, formed it into looking women looking at where they've been, where they are, and where they're going for the shoes they've worn. And all this is women in jail, right? This was at the Dallas County Jail, and all of a sudden they got so deep, and women started sharing really, really intimate stories and stories that they that they said they had they had never ever even said out loud to anyone, and, and that they, some of them didn't even realize it themselves that they had the had it inside of them. But it was through shoes that they started looking at their lives and through the art that released hmm. these stories. Mm-hmm. So shoes are uh, the, the vehicle here, basically, uh, that, that allows you to to sort of walk in their steps and, and tell about their past and what they hope for in the future. Did you find that a lot of these women who were locked up were hopeful about the future? Because it's, it's such a disruptive thing in your life, obviously, to be incarcerated. Were they I hopeful think they about were, the future? I think that this course brought them hope. It was the first time for so many that anybody ever even looked at them as real human beings that really took the time to listen to them. And so it brought them some confidence and some joy and it and they felt they felt good about themselves. And they also earned credit towards a college credit. So um, that, that was really that really I mean, when you know, when they would get that that piece of paper you know that uh, that said that they ha- that they you know they had gone to college that they had this credit they were so excited and so and mm. so i'm sure christina she meets some so many of these women and they're so down and out because nobody takes the time to even listen to them or think of them as human beings and i think that's one of the things really things that i'm real proud of that when people watch the film it, it puts a human face on incarcerated women, women who are dis, that in many people's minds would be discarded. And so it gives, so it, it brings, it, it brings their stories. Uh, there, when people are able to relate to their stories in some human way. Yeah. Christina, you're shaking your head as mm-hmm. Cynthia is speaking here. Mm-hmm. You, you've heard a lot of these stories, but I guess you get men and women that come to you. I'm just curious for people who, who aren't, as familiar with Unlocking Doors, do they find out about Unlocking Doors, your organization, when they're still incarcerated at TDCJ before their release and then come to you? Yes, they do. They find out about us both before and after. We um, actually have a, a um, MOU with TDCJ, so um, they actually uh, refer people to us directly. They give them flyers about our program. Uh, we receive a number of letters from offenders that we answer um, and tell them where to come when they are released, whether that is parole or what we call flat time, meaning that they've served every day of their sentence. And I would just add to something Cynthia said, you know, the women are a whole different anomaly. Um, men and women in prison are very different and their needs are different. Um, women, for the most part, go to prison because of drug abuse, substance abuse, um, um, you know, lots of low self-esteem issues, that sort of thing. And um, what typically happens is a woman in prison more than likely is also a mother. And so what happens is you've got 
a, a, a female who's now been incarcerated with probably a caregiver of the child being a grandmother or other family member. And so to try to bond that mother with that child so that when she leaves, there's a continued relationship is something that's very important both inside and out. And it's important for us at the unlocking door side, uh, once they've re-entered society, to make sure the mother gets a job because she's not only feeding herself, taking care of herself, but she's usually, you know, taking care of one or one or more children. Uh, where a father coming out of prison many times doesn't have the same situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about recidivism here? Because that's what, that's what this is all about, is preventing crimes from happening again from that same person after they get back out. Talk a little bit about the rate that you all have been able to produce over these 10 years versus the rate that we see widely with TDG, uh, TDCJ inmates. Uh, it is significantly lower, and, and you all have helped, what, 5,000 people now? That's right. Thank you, Jason. Um, our rate is 8%. Um meaning that 8% of our 5,000 plus offenders have not recidivated, have not reoffended, or had a technical violation. Um, the state rate is about 23 to 25%. So we feel very, very good and excited about the rate we've been able to, to establish over the 10 years. So just to be clear there, the, the people you work with, out of all of the people you've helped, 8% of them might go on and commit another crime after getting out of prison versus the state average, which is at 25%. So one out of four inmates who just come out of TDCJ are likely to end up back there again. Yeah, or and, and our rate is based on actuality. So it's based on those who have actually committed a, a new crime, or as I said mm-hmm. before, a technical violation, which means they violated some condition of their parole or probation. Mm-hmm. Cynthia, how, how many of the uh, women that you talked to, the 64 inmates, had been in there a second time? Most of them. M- m- many of them. I mean, these women are suffering from sex abuse. Um, they're, uh, they've, got, they've, been, they've been molested. Um, they've, been, they, they've been treated so poorly. Uh, so they, they've been bullied. Um, you know, so many have been broken down, and a lot of them are have you know are uh, drug or addicts, alcohol, and mostly drugs, and so it's really hard for them to get um, any help. And they and I just think that a lot of them don't know you know don't even know how to get help. So some of them, when you nobody, it's really interesting. Not one of the women that I talked to over the few years that I we filmed. Um, ever said, I don't belong here. Some of them were actually relieved to be in there so they were away from their drugs. But when they get out, I mean, it's it's somebody like unlocking doors that can help them, but they all don't get to unlocking doors, not from the Dallas County Jail anyway. And so it's really important to have an organization like Unlocking Doors out there to help, to, you know, to help these, to help these right. women. It's about breaking the cycle, and there have been some reforms uh, that have helped with this. Uh, I mean, this is a a political podcast, so let's dive into the politics of it. Uh, As Jason uh, talked about a little bit ago, uh, there is an appetite, it seems like, uh, with Republicans and with Democrats uh, to affect criminal justice reform. We've seen some of that happening in this state, Uh, both of you. But let's start with Christina. What do you think we have seen in terms of reform that has been the biggest key? And what would you say is the outstanding item that still needs to happen, especially as we head into another legislative session here with, you know, both parties 
talking about a willingness to 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 do something. So I'll I'll answer um, I'll answer the question kind of a twofer. Um, for several legislative sessions here in Texas, we've seen a dramatic change in the the non-disclosure exemption um, 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 expunction area. Yeah, uh, make great mm-hmm. strides in that area. We still have a long way to go. And tell people, tell people what that is. It's, it's for people to, to clear their sure. record in a sense. So um, there is a there's a there are laws that allow if you are have committed a certain crime or you've been um, you have not recidivated for some number of years after you've been released from prison, right. you're able to go to a judge and actually get an expunction of your crime so that you don't have to disclose that to an employer, to a landlord, um, et cetera. Now, so now you can have a life again. You have a life. Okay. So in other words, the whole purpose is you've served your time. Now you can move on. And the we've made great strides, but I will say that there are a number of crimes that are still, um, you still have to have to show on your record. And so I get it from a standpoint of being an employer and also landlords, they're worried about liability, they're worried about all kinds of issues. So one of the things we're trying to work on is we've created an employment council, for instance, to work with employers to say, okay, we get the liability issues, but what else can we do from a legislative or policy standpoint to put things in place so you don't worry about being protected? You can hire who you want to, and if something happens, Maybe there's better insurance. Maybe there's fidelity bonds that are more secure, et cetera. The other item I would say we've made great strides in is occupational license. Um, In Texas specifically, there are thousands of licenses that have criminal justice guidelines attached to them. And we're talking about plumbing, electrician, cosmetology, all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. And it has been mandated for years by the legislature that we spend a certain amount of the Wyndham School District budget. Wyndham School District is the school district inside TECJ where they learn all the trades and they get educated. It is mandated by the legislature, we spend a certain portion of their budget to train offenders in occupational licensed jobs. Yet when they get out, if they don't need, yes sir. Christina, you just said there's a school district? Inside TDCJ? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, b- before you continue on, people are, are probably scratching their heads saying, what in the world are you talking about a school district inside TDCJ? Yes. Well, it's called the Wyndham School District, and the Board of, board of, um, uh, board of Criminal Justice also serves as the Board of Trustees over that school district. Huh. The school district actually um, teaches certain um, offenders who actually qualify um, education, they train in different occupations. They teach behavioral and cognitive skills. I mean, the list goes on. And then you get out though, but can you use, let's say you, you learn that uh, trade and you get that certification. Right. You can't get the certification so then, if you can't. Right, if I've been, if I have actually been trained in an occupational licensed profession, you've used state dollars to do that. And then I go over to take the test to get that license the criminal guidelines may not allow me to do that. So we've made strides in moving those forward, but we still have a long way to go. Cynthia, did you get a sense when you were speaking with these women in in the jail as to what might really make a difference to to break that cycle for so many of them so that they don't keep on ending up locked up and can actually be productive members of society and be reunited with their families? Well, I 
my observation and not coming from them, but just my observation is that there really needs to be a mental health component. And I, Christina's not talking about the Dallas County Jail where people are put in there, some for a short period of time, but some of those, some of those women were there for a couple of years and they weren't, but it's, it's usually a place where they, where people are put in for, for, you know, a certain period of time. And then they, then they are, then they go into other um, state, um, you know, state uh, jails, uh, prisons. And so, um, but, but I think that there really needs to be a mental health component. So many of those women need that. Um, there also needs to be an, somebody to help them with their addiction and there needs to be education. And there, and it, it is political um, because I mean, there, you know, not every person who runs every jail, um, you know, accepts, accepts the services that are actually offered to them. Mm -hmm. Like um, the art course was canceled a couple of times while I was filming. And why was it, it was canceled? Politics and it was offered for free. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, but I, all I know is that that could be, you know, that's something that um, is a difficult thing for, um, you know, you know, ha, you know, who knows, you know, why I'm not, I'm, I don't know all the politics that are happening. I mean, maybe Christina can shed light on that, but, um, that you know, I. But some of some of the some of the services aren't offered, and a lot of some of the services in there that are heavily offered are, are religious in tone, and sometimes you go in there and there's just, you know, they have video and some of it is just continuously religious video. Hmm. So you know they're being fed a diet of um, white bread religion. You know, and so, and they, you know, if you can get out of a certain pod and you can get into a pod that can help you progress. And I'm not downing religion, but I just think that it's, you know, you just have to look at what's being, sh that what's being shown constantly. There may be, yeah, a need for more things like mental health. Um, uh, work there may be a lot of mental health. Yeah, no question about that. Go ahead, Cynthia, uh, Christina. Well, I was just going to add that obviously, and, and Cynthia's right, I mean, uh, a lot of times it comes down to true budget issues. And, um, you know, when the, for instance, legislature, when the budget is cut, programs are going to be the first thing to go. Because at the end of the day, the agency, TDCJ, is, is responsible for the health care, the feeding, the clothing, you know, all those keeping the electricity on. I mean, you have to go to the basics. Um, this is is why we we need reentry even more because the mm. more people that reoffend, they're going to be back in the system. They're not going to get the progress in the programs that they need, but they can get it on the outside if we continue to have this kind of programming and community outreach that we have. I was going to ask you about that because you know that with the pandemic going on yeah. and you know the the you know sales tax receipts among other things have been really yeah. down here in in Texas. Uh, we're going to see some some budget trimming, yeah. uh, some budget cutting. Uh, let's say it. Uh, it's going to be some pretty harsh budget cutting perhaps next year when the state legislature meets. How do you impress upon lawmakers and and elected leaders that this needs to be a priority? Uh, just go down to the Capitol. You know, uh, get with your legislators, get with those that you know. We do a lot of that. I do a lot of it personally because, of course, we're a nonprofit, so I have to be careful about what we do. 
but we do a lot of referral testimony, uh, whether it's through our clients, myself, others that work with me. Um, bottom line is we have to show them because they're not on the ground in the field every day seeing what we see and working with these clients. Does it help to have a film called In Her Shoes where you see that these are people? Yes, it absolutely helps. And Cynthia has done an amazing job putting this together. I think, you know, when you hear that the majority of them have, have rotated back in, even though they had hope through the, through the artist and the film, et cetera, that shows you what's going on. We've got to have more funding for community-based programs like Unlocking Doors that can help folks once they get out and not return a good portion of who are who are what who our taxpayer dollars are going towards are those who are reoffending who have been in eight mm-hmm. ten times it's not cheap to lock them not up not cheap that's it, right it costs us about twenty four thousand dollars a year to incarcerate a general population offender that's somebody geez. that doesn't even have a medical issue or other custody issues. Twenty four thousand a year yeah. per inmate yeah. times one hundred and thirty something thousand. And it's actually one hundred and forty seven, Jason. <laughs> I know. Wow. It's, it's mind boggling. Maybe yeah. someone will do the math for us here in just a moment. Uh, <laughs> Christina, that, that's going to take a while. Uh, Christina, you, you have a, a heck of a, uh, a Rolodex or, or, or phone list. Um, so I'm sure you reach out individually, but. In the three years that I've been moderating this one panel um, for the uh, symposium, several things have really stuck with me, and I want to address them both individually. The first is, this is not just about offenders. There is a huge push, and you mentioned it a moment ago, a huge push to get protections for businesses and business owners who take that chance and that risk and hire an ex-offender. You said more needs to be done with that. what specifically more are you hearing from these businesses? What do they want the legislature to do? You know, Jason, at the end of the day, most of most of the businesses we work with and others that are coming on board are just concerned about the liability. It's not that they're not secondhand, second chance friendly. Right. It's just as a pure business owner who's looking at the economics of it and looking at the safety of their other um, staff members, they just they have real liability concerns, which as an attorney, I totally get. Um, there are fidelity bonds that already exist there, um, but we haven't gone far enough. Um, I don't know yet what we could possibly put in place. We're doing some research on that right now before the session starts, doing a lot of talking. Um, it may be a pilot program that gets started, is my thought. To, to, I don't to know do what, that we'll I'm thinking the only way to really get around this is to provide them with some kind of insurance of sorts that is backed, you know, probably, um, uh, you know, a high end type of insurance and some people will be able to afford it. Some won't, but put something in place to where we can test it and see if it works. And if something happens on the job, then they've at least got something to, to protect them in a backup. Well, you know, every year that, that I do this, they, I ask all these questions. I, you know, I come up with my own questions, but I, I always leave time at the end for questions from the, uh, the audience. And every year, the most questions are about sex offenders. Yes. Where yes. can sex offenders go? Where can sex offenders live? Where can they work? Because there, there is, number one, uh, a stigma uh, that, that they're going to reoffend. Um, but there is there is a real concern out there that that people want some type of resolution once they do their time, 
that they could move on and reenter as well. Correct. Correct. In Texas, we put everybody who's committed a sex crime into one big pot, whether it's the serial pedophile or it's the kid that had sex with the 15 year old. Okay. And we, in talking with employers now, for instance, they get the fact that we put everybody in a pot. And many of them have told me that they are more than happy to hire the guy that had sex with the 15 year old, because at the end of the day, are we really worried about him? Are we scared about him? He made a mistake. He served his time. You know, we move on. The people we're scared about, those are different. And that is something we're going to have to grapple with because here at Unlocking Doors, I'll tell you, we, we take everybody and we have a number of sex offenders that are rapists, you know, molesters, et cetera. Hmm. And it is an ongoing issue. Um, fortunately, we've been able to find some employers who are willing to hire them. Many times it's because they've had a family member go through the system themselves. I'd like to know from both of you, since we're talking about assessing the risks of people when they reenter society coming from prison or coming from jail, uh, both of you all have spent significant amount of time with people who are on the inside or who have just gotten out. Did you ever have you ever felt unsafe with them? Cynthia, we'll start with you. You spent quite a bit of time in the lockup. No, I never I never felt unsafe at all. Um, no, n- not at all. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I was with a you know, group of women. I don't know how I would feel if I were with a group of men, to hmm. be really honest. But mm-hmm. I, I never felt unsafe going to into Dallas County Jail, going through the halls. Um, or, you know, going through the, you're sort of away, you know, you have to weave around and everything to go on the back end. And, but I never felt um, uncomfortable. Because let's be honest, there are real possibilities there. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that you probably had to sign waivers to that effect saying that, you know, if something happens to you, you know, the liability is not on the jail. I don't think I signed any waivers. Oh, wow, that's surprising. County attorney's going to change that, probably. That's very surprising. (laughs) How about about you, Christina? You've been around a number Uh, of inmates over the years. Um, And, of course, now having been involved with it over 20 years, I no, I'm not. I I will tell you, one of the first uh, visits I I made to a Texas prison, um, I remember there was this uh, offender who was running down some stairs uh, from his from his cell that was on a second tier. And of course we were with a group of people and I looked over and I'm like, what's going on with him? Well, guard went over to him to find out what was going on. And he was upset because another offender had taken his coffee mug. <laughs> and, you know, we forget about how you have very few possessions in prison. And that was really important to him. In fact, I think his mother had sent it to him. It had some special meaning, you know, mm. unlike, you know, I go in my, my kitchen and take out a coffee mug it's like okay one of 50 or whatever you know that's sitting there with everybody's logo on it and i don't even think about it and you know that was the only time where i stopped for a moment and it was only because he was running but it once i heard what what he was concerned about i was like well i get that i get that um i have never felt you know my safety was in jeopardy um in fact my band my rock and roll band that i sing in we actually um, every year, we weren't able to do it this past year, but we go and play in, at the crane unit. And I, I tell you, hmm. yeah, it's me and six guys. You're and the headliner. 
Wait, 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 wait. So you've there already dropped on us that there's a school district in prisons, and then just matter yeah, of fact, it. you say that you, you sing in a rock band. Christina is a great singer. I've heard her do the uh, national anthem a number of times. It's like, wow. Jeez. Yeah, but here's my point. My point is... Cynthia, this might be your next movie, by the way. <laughs> never look at her boots while she's rocking. <laughs> that is great. Uh, but my point is that these six guys that are in my band had never been in a prison or a jail. Mm. When we left, they said, you know what? Those women are just like our next door neighbors or my wife or whoever. And I said, exactly. And they came mm. to that on their own. They were not worried. They weren't scared. They said, you know... They're just women that made a bad choice. Something happened or they got caught where maybe I didn't, you know. And, yeah. and I think just to take it back to your point initially about why maybe we have congruity from a political standpoint, I think I think that's where people live. They say, you know what? There by the grace of God go I. It could have been me that got picked up because I drank a few few too many. Um, mm-hmm. Or they, they have a family member who finally goes through it. And I... I love to see people who have never experienced it before go through it and then come up with on their own. Oh my gosh, these people, there's, these are just people. Hmm. You, you did say something about, ask about fear. And um, I will tell you that um, this, that the, I was, this was a low budget film and i was looking for a um i was looking i was looking for music um i did ha- finally get raise some money that i could get some money from some other music but i had heard somebody sent me um a clip from uh, ted talks and it was a clip from some women who are lady lifers that's women who have um they're they're serving life in prison in muncie state prison and they um have a band where they compose music and they sang in this TED talk and it was just, it was chilling, their song. So I contacted Muncie and I sent them clips from the film and told them all about it. And the administrator showed these women, you know, some of the, some parts of the film and they loved it. And they sent me two songs. And then they asked me if I would come ever come visit them. And I said well sure and i have no if i'm in my if i'm in that area in pennsylvania i certainly will make an effort to go visit them mm. but at the same time i had i have no fear of them and by the way they wrote me their shoe stories wow so um you know i couldn't go up there i to, to film and this was right before covid so you know it'll be a while before i can get up there so, so wow. but uh, christina it's a, Nice story. It's kind of going crazy here. No problem. Your your job is to find people work, essentially. When you boil it all down to find people work, that's a pretty liberal position, but that's not what your conservative credentials are. Why in the world? Why in the world did you start this? When I chaired the prison board, I realized there was a huge gap in the system. The gap was when the person got out, and getting to the services they need. They don't have a clue what to do. And so Unlocking Doors was born to be that, to fill that gap. We are not a service provider. We we are not reinventing the wheel. We basically partner with all the various service providers so that we're gonna be your guide or navigator. We're much like your internal medicine doctor. You go to your doctor, the doctor does an assessment of, of, of everything that's going on with you. If he or she finds something he doesn't like, he sends you over to a a specialist. So that's what we do. 
we, we assess you, we figure out everything about you, your needs, your work skills, everything, and then we're gonna put a plan in place and refer you to all those various experts in the field that are gonna help you. And then we monitor you on that plan to make sure that, that you get where you need to go. If something goes mm-hmm. awry, then we recalculate. And yeah, it's not surprising that this does uh, play right into what uh, a conservative agenda is, though, and that is you know, getting people to work. Go well, out and get a job and, and, and support yourself. That's right. I mean, work is... A- so this speaks to both sides of the aisle very it easily. It does. And I mean, at the end of the day, work is essential to a good life. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, doesn't matter who you are. If these people are going to come out of prison and be in our communities, we want them to work. We want them to be successful. We want them to put back into the tax base. Um, it's it to me. It may, it's it's simple, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I don't think there's a party that doesn't want people to work, yeah. and I know that both parties are watching the uh, purse strings uh, this time around, especially as they reconvene the Texas legislature That's in right. January of next year. And I did the math while y'all were Good. talking. <laughs> Uh, and added it up. So for the 147,000 inmates in Texas at $24,000 a year, you're looking at $3.528 billion just to put them in prison. Uh, and that doesn't count, like you said, if they have some other issues like uh, medical issues and that sort of thing. So again, if you wonder why that brings Democrats and Republicans together to talk about criminal justice reform, I think both sides uh, care a lot about that kind of money being spent uh, and just to lock people up. That's right. How many shoes it would buy? How many shoes it could buy? Exactly, Cynthia. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, Christina, last thing here, and Jason kind of mentioned it earlier, but as we go into 2021, what is your legislative wish list? What's the 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 you know most needed thing uh, for these offenders who are leaving the system? Mm -hmm. Again, we go back to employment. We go back to jobs. Um, It's going to be to make more strides in the occupational license area. It's to uh, look at what protections we might be able to get for the employers, um, to start looking at what additional things we can do for sex offenders um, so that, again, they're going to be more strategically viably placed for folks to, to employ them. Um, it, it, it all boils down to that. It, if they don't have a job, they are not going to be able to move forward. Um, it's about sustainable independence that's crime-free. And although they're going to still need a place to live, transportation, and probably medical health, because that's really the barriers, without that job, there's no way of really moving forward and being independent. And the annual reentry symposium is on Tuesday, the 29th of September. It's from uh, 9 to 1230. It's free, which is great. Cynthia, your uh, your film will uh, be a part of that as well, too. Uh, Christina, tell people how they can uh, attend this since COVID's going on. This is all virtual this year. That's right. So um, all they have to do is go to our website, which is unlockingdoors.org. They can sign up on our homepage. Um, registration is required, uh, but it is free. As Jason said, it'll be from 9 to 1230 on Tuesday the 29th. We hope to see everyone there. And Cynthia, if somebody can't make it, how do they see this film? They can contact me at media, if they go on our website, mediaprojects.org, it's www.mediaprojects.org, or they can email me at mail, M-A-I-L, at mediaprojects.org. All right, fascinating conversation there. Uh, you know, rock bands and 
you know, prison, school districts. Uh, that's it, It's kind of amazing when you start to peel back the layers with people, uh, the things that they can tell you about. Uh, you know, Jason, uh, I think there was a hopeful tone struck there, even though we're in this really weird time right now with the pandemic. And we know that there's going to be probably some significant budget cuts here in Texas. And so we closed there uh, talking about, you know, maybe, you know, we will see this be a big issue in the next legislative session. You've covered a million of these, though. And I'm just curious, you know, what do you think about that? Because we know that money is possibly going to be hard to come by in this session. And there's a million other things right now that are competing for attention. Yeah. And Jason, the, the other deal is, you know, there's there's a lot less money going on. But but some of the things that Christina was talking about, about, um, you know, employers, second chance employers who might want a little more protection. Some of these things like occupational licensing um, for offenders who are coming out, maybe loosening some of that stuff up, they would have no budget impact. Some of these might not have a budget impact, which would which would be great. I tell you, the thing that that you know I'm concerned about the prison school system, the arts class, like at the mm-hmm. Dallas County Jail, which doesn't fall under the purview of the Texas Legislature, probably, but things like that are are clearly. Uh, you know, items that really make an impact. And those are where the cuts might be made because there is money that is allocated to each of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be some big fights over a precious few dollars. We'll just see what uh, the priorities are when we get to the next session and also to the next Congress, uh, which is just, you know, a couple of months away as well from us here. Four months away, uh, Jason. Four months away, man. And now we're, what, seven weeks away from election. Whew. So we're going to be busy. Strap in. If you haven't... If you haven't already uh, subscribed to this podcast, please do so now because these are going to be a busy seven weeks ahead, and we're going to get past all of the the rancor and the finger pointing and the you know that candidate's bad and I'm good. Uh, we're going to get into some interesting stuff here over these next seven weeks, and it's going to be crazy. We appreciate so subscribe. We appreciate you listening as well. Take care. 